1: It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No. These are the other stories. <laughs> We at and Cleaver have just revamped our Patreon page. So there's never been a better time to sign up and support the show. By becoming a patron, you'll get a personalised thank you plus superpower. You'll get access to the exclusive podcast feed, which includes exclusive monthly bonus episodes and early access to the regular episodes. You can get access to our Discord server, Which is essentially a chat room where our writers, narrators, and editors hang out with our number one fans. You can get access to the Hawk and Cleaver Vault, which is where we keep all of our ebooks, our comics, our high resolution desktop backgrounds, and our super secret bonus episodes. You can also get merch like the other stories branded mugs, t shirts, and posters. You can get your name in all of our books that we put out in the future, and you can get short story and podcast critiques. And not only that, if you sign up at the Corvus level, this week you'll get a limited edition The Witching Hour t-shirt. It's only available this week. Get it now before it disappears. So once again, you can sign up to be a patron over at patreon.com forward slash cleaver. Today's episode is Psychopathogen, written by Thomas X. Teller and narrated by Justin Fife.
0: Once we'd killed the new guy, I slit his throat and burned the body. We walked down I-90, away from Northfield. The highway wasn't littered with cars like in the movies. It was almost empty, with a few crashes here and there, or more frequently, cars driven by people who stopped of their own accord. Good Samaritans helping someone with a flat, only to never get back in their cars. Tucker led us with his phone clunky head hanging down on a long neck. His was the only phone still working, because he had a new setup, a solar charger that plugged right into the case. Even so, it wasn't much help. The map software still worked, and a few other independent satellite-based apps, but who knew how long those would last? Then there were the distress signals. Some were pleas for hell, food, water medicine. Others were promises of shelter, of community, of little bastions of virus-free life. We figured these were traps. Why shouldn't they be? Anyone who wasn't sick was already dead. All the good ones were gone a long time ago. Danny walked next to me, holding the kid. The kid was maybe six, seven years old. So far, we hadn't gotten a word out of her. She'd been in Northfield when we stopped through, curled up outside the supermarket, eyes wide. We had to assume her shell shock was genuine, seeing that she was one of the only people in Northfield left alive. ''New Orleans,'' Danny said. ''I want a beignet, and to see the French Quarter.'' ''Too many people,'' I said, even though I knew I was being cruel. She wanted a dream, not a lecture. We should stick to the Alabama coast, then down into Florida. I don't want to go anywhere near Florida. It was psychotic even before the virus, but what about Texas? Danny said this through her mask, and the sound was muffled, distant. I looked at the blank stare of the girl in Danny's arms, thinking about how close they were. Nearly face to face. Easier for a bug to spread that way. I considered... Warm enough for the winter, but too many guns, I said. She nodded silently. From the stand of pine trees to our right, a fall wind blew. It would be a cold night again. Wolves, which had already come down from the north, like us, would hurl their solitary cries into the starlit woods. We'd sleep in separate tents, not wanting to share the air, and wonder what it would be like in the night if we'd be picked off like jim and ricky our wolves were worse after another few hours we came to a gas station there was a pile of bodies with bullet wounds placed neatly in their foreheads all lined up and wrapped in linen we debated on burning them and decided against it instead fanning out into the gas station with guns drawn it was empty hardly even looted we filled the sacks with whatever we wanted candy, cigarettes, booze, Twinkies, pork rinds, then ditched. I stayed behind and raided the cash register. Not that money was any good anymore, but it felt nice to hold, to have. A little token to remind myself that perhaps the world could return to normal. An investment in the future. That's when I saw the body behind the counter. A middle-aged guy, wispy blonde hair, three chins and one large gut. He stared lifelessly at the ceiling, a gaping wound between his eyes. I covered my mouth with a cloth. You could get sick from corpses. Everyone still alive knew that. But the corpse itself wasn't as troubling. Instead, it was the flyer taped to the man's chest. A calling card. Towards the end, that bright blue flyer had been ubiquitous. It read, Know the signs of B-27. Whites showing around the eyes. Aggression and lack of empathy. Antisocial behavior. Torturing small animals. Voyeurism or vacant stares. Sudden increase in intelligence. I didn't doubt that whoever killed the cashier had left that there as a cruel joke. Whoever it was, they were probably responsible for the corpses outside, too. Maybe they were already dead, maybe they weren't. But either way, it was a good reason to leave fast. I grabbed a few packs of American spirits and ran out the door, bell jingling behind me. Tucker was holding the kid's hand now, so I ran up behind Diane and kissed her on the neck, pulling my mask down as I did. She flinched a little and laughed, crinkling her neck. I could take my mask off around her at least. We were each other's person, and if one of us was sick, we both were. That was that. I'm worried about the kid, Diane said, going serious. You think she saw? I asked. How could she not? She's traumatized, not catatonic. The smoke would have shone for miles. Then it's a good thing we got out of there, I said. I grabbed her hand. Look, Diane, we had to get him. It was him or us, Diane frowned. Him or us? She, she said. But how do we even know it was him? That he killed Gemma and Ricky? Who else could it have been? I said. It can't be one of us, or we'd have had it. I think we'd know if one of us turned into a serial killer. Annie flicked her head forward and whispered, "What about Tucker?" I looked up to Tucker, head craned over his phone. I don't think Tucker could have taken Rick, even if he was sleeping, and then dragged his body off so that we never found it. Look at his arms. He's not that strong. Diane frowned again. Maybe it really was, Wolves. And then we killed the new guy for nothing. It wasn't for nothing. He was twisted. Did you see his eyes when we killed him? White's all the way round. That's a sign. And that's not me talking. It's the CDC. If we hadn't burned him, we'd have gotten twisted too. And look, two nights without the new guy and two nights with no new deaths. Danny dropped my hand and tucked her arms to her chest. Her backpack stuffed with gear rustled with each uneven step. Yeah, she said. Yeah, I-, I guess. I just wish the kid hadn't seen it. I can't imagine what she must think of us. From the look in her eyes were not the worst things she's seen. Not at all. We continued down the highway until it got dark. Somehow, electricity still lit up the distant billboards, advertising shit that nobody would ever need again. Hair plugs and personal injury lawyers and vodka held by smirking models. All parts of a past world. The worst one was a billboard of a happy family, vacationing by a lake, all smiles. Show them you love them. Try Wisconsin Dales. I wondered how many of those models were still alive. I wonder who killed them or who they had killed. Finally, we came to a small roadside motel. I broke the lock with a kick and we treated ourselves to snack bars and beer in the lobby. The pool was already slicked over with filth, so we didn't swim, but the showers worked. Danny and I rubbed the grime off each other and made love on the starchy sheets. It felt blank, routine, like I was going through the motions. I tried to remember when making love to her had started to feel like a chore. Afterwards, she slept. I couldn't, so I wandered the motel. I stared at the pool, peeked in empty bedrooms. Finally, I came back to the lobby. Tucker was there, charging his phone. I pulled two bottles of beer from the fridge and cracked them open. Almost without thinking, I dumped a spoonful of white powder into Tucker's drink. I handed it to him, sat. He drank deeply. "'Anything uh, new?' I said, genially. He didn't take his eyes from the phone. "'A few signals not far from here.' Remember that big meetup they set up in the chat room? How people wanted everyone to go to the city and try to reestablish a government? I nodded and sipped my beer. I watched Tucker drink again from his bottle, satisfied. Yeah, did people go? A few, Tucker said. All dead. Two separate sickos with semi automatics blasted the crowd apart. Yeesh, I said. I wasn't surprised. Who would be? As much as I hated to say it, anyone stupid enough to be in a crowd deserved it. They weren't playing the game right. Tucker finished his beer. He didn't make a face when the rat poison went down, only grimaced slightly, but Tucker had never been able to hold his liquor. His eyes batted, and he excused himself to bed. He told me he'd see me in the morning. I knew he was wrong, of course. Part of me wondered if he did, too. If he'd already figured me out and had drank the poison beer anyway. I knew Tucker was tired of playing the game. Sometimes it was easier to fold. Next was Danny. She was still asleep in the same position, legs splayed naked. I let a hand crest the curve of her stomach, waiting for something. Remorse, regret, fear to show its face. Nothing did. There was only boredom. A memory like the pull of a drug. The holding power of life and death. I'd felt it with Jenny and Ricky. I'd felt it again when I tricked Tucker and Danny into killing the new guy. But that was a different sort of fun. With Jimmy and Ricky, it'd have been the rat poison first. Then strangulation. I wanted them weak enough to submit but strong enough to struggle. I liked the feeling of their necks wriggling under my hands. Gemma, who never looked at me twice, who only had eyes for Ricky. Ricky, hedge fund manager before the virus, handsome and fit and charming. But none of that mattered now. None of that mattered when I snuffed the life out of him like a match into water. I didn't need to poison Danny. She was too exhausted from a day of carrying the little girl to fight back. The pillow closed over her face in a tight seal. She kicked against me for a while, but she was small. I was not. The fight in her made her kill even better. When it was done, I lay on the bed next to her corpse, panting. I had decided earlier in the day that I would leave the kid. She was six after all, not much of a fight, Not very fun at all, like those cats and dogs I'd started with. But after the thrill of Danny and Tucker, I'd gone into his room and checked, just to make sure there'd be a thick ooze of bloody vomit on his lips. I wanted more. The little girl wasn't the first drink of the evening or second. She was the one you knew you shouldn't have, but wanted anyway. Danny, sweet and motherly Danny had set her up in the room next to ours. I listened at the door for a while, breathing slowly, trying to hear her gentle, perfect snoring. Nothing. When my breath was calm enough that I felt I could enter undetected, I slipped into the shadowy room. Moonlight branched over the bed where a small lump lay sleeping soundly. I stepped forward, my breath speeding again, growing faster with anticipation. I still held the pillow I'd used on Danny, and thought it was fitting to use it again. Perhaps the girl would smell Danny's hair and it would comfort her in her last moments of fear and panic. I saw the tuft of her hair peeking beneath the comforter and smiled, drawing back the sheet. But it was not the girl. Instead, it was a cat. Mangled, neck twisted, paws cut off and tossed in the bloody sheets like toys. I stared stupidly. realized too late. The slice roared up through me. From my ankles, sharp steel severed the tendons, and there I collapsed, unable to support my weight. That's when the girl came from under the bed, scuttling like an insect, and drove the knife into my stomach. Once, twice, three times. I grabbed at her, but she was fast, and her clever hands moved to my throat. My windpipe severed, spray of arterial blood covered the girl's emotionless face I sank to the floor looking up at her the white showed all the way around her eyes making her look like a doll all porcelain and crystal more than shell-shocked I now realized twisted the girl looked at me I didn't expect her to say anything there was nothing to say we had been playing at the same game and I'd lost. It was good to know at least that the game would go on. I smiled, taking a bloody hand away from my throat. She knelt, knife in hand, and saying nothing, she began to cut
1: Hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Other Stories Psychopathogen was written by Thomas X Teller, narrated by Justin Fife, edited by Carl Hughes of music by Kai Engel and Tom Robson, and sound effects provided by freesound.org. The episode illustration was provided by Luke Spoon of Carry On House. If you enjoyed Thomas X Teller's story, you can buy him a coffee over at buymeacoffee.com forward slash AQTVZIM. The link to that will be in the show notes. Justin Fife is an audio producer, amateur voice actor, podcaster and video game lover. Follow him on Twitter at Justin B. Five. If you'd like to sponsor an episode of The Other Stories, you can do so by getting in touch via the website theotherstories.net or by emailing Kez directly at keztheeditor at gmail.com. You can sponsor a single episode or an entire theme of the show. The Other Stories is a production of the Story Studio Hawk & Cleaver and is brought to you with a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No-Derivatives License. That means don't change it, don't sell it, but by all means, share the hell out of it. Until next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen